Father, thanks for your word. We're thankful that in the midst of this world and even in our own hearts as we get going this way and that way, Lord, that it reorients us to see you, that you'd be the center of everything. And so, Lord, no matter what's gone on this last week or even this morning, Lord, we pray that your word would come and put our eyes on Jesus. Lord, we pray that your spirit would help us to learn the same thing that he had these uh, people to write, the same thing that he wishes to choose. Uh, to, to teach all believers. So, Lord, I pray that you would uh, help me to divide the word of truth correctly and that I'd only say what you would have me to. Lord, we pray that you would build us up as a result of this word. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. We've been talking uh, lately about people who are vulnerable uh, and, and what that means to be a person of Christ in these vulnerable situations, I was thinking about being vulnerable and I had this friend back in Seattle uh, whose name was Jeff and Jeff was a really cool guy, a good friend in our church and uh, Jeff was single and there was this one time that he had gone out to a convention for his work and he had he had he had uh, came across a girl who he had come, uh, met once before and he, he just really enjoyed this girl. And so when he got back on the plane. Uh, after seeing this girl, he decided to write this girl an email. And it was one of those ones where it's in the moment, you're feeling all the feelings, and he put it all down onto this computer, uh, typing this email. So he has it all typed up, and he just put it out there, just like, I really enjoy being with you. You know, maybe there would be a chance to to spend more time together or start talking and having a conversation. And um, so he has this email, and at that point, he's said it all, but he's he's kept it to himself. And I remember as Jeff was telling me the story, and you know how email works, if you'd all have a computer or a phone, he, he, he got to a place where he had internet connection, and he finally went and he pressed send. Now, up to that point, it had been himself, but suddenly he was exposed. And, and I just thought about that when I thought about the word vulnerable. When, when you're talking about the fact that in this spot, your heart is completely vulnerable. And it worked out for Jeff. She responded in kind and they ended up um, having opportunities to meet more. And, and eventually he, he went and met her dad, which was really awkward because the very first time uh, he met her dad, for whatever reason, her dad turned the handshake into an awkward headlock. It was really weird. Um, so he really made himself vulnerable. And they get along well and, and they live down in, now in New Orleans and they, they have their first son, Gus, and... Um, Jeff and Libby, Libby's her name, just a great couple. But it, it took that moment of being vulnerable and understanding that suddenly you're exposed. And we've kind of been talking about that in some regards to situations where you don't always have a choice about being vulnerable because there's somebody who maybe has an authority uh, over you. We've talked about that in terms of living as a citizen. You have rulers over you or being in a job where you're a servant and you have a boss over you. And so today we're going to be actually be in a situation where you chose to be in that place, possibly. We're not talking about government and we're not talking about uh, a, 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 an employer. Now we're talking about the fact that you fell in love. We're going to talk about husbands and wives and what's it what's it mean to be kind of vulnerable? What's it mean to be a person of Christ in marriage? What's it mean to be 
the wife that God's asking you to be or the husband that God's asking you to be. So now suddenly uh, married couples maybe feel awkward and say, like, we should not have come today. This is just going to start something. Um, But I think it'll be very valuable. And if you're not married or maybe you're a younger person um, or maybe you're widowed and you say, well, this isn't me anymore. There's going to be things concerning what uh, Peter says to the church, two wives and two husbands that will also concern you. I think there will be application for all of us as we get into this. So let's go to first Peter chapter three. And Peter is writing this to the church. Again, this is a church that's been heavily persecuted and under suffering. And he he says this, he says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So he starts out with something that in a lot of ways can be offensive to any of us when we're told to be subject. We don't always like to be told to be subject to somebody. And and right now there's a lot of, hey, you better not make a woman be subject to a man. And I'm not saying at all that women are subjected to men. God never says that in the scriptures. What he does say is in a situation that he created, which is called marriage, one man and one woman who are married together under the ordination of God. That in that marital relationship, he has made the husband to be the head of the household and he's made the, the wife to be subjected to her husband. What does that mean? If you want to go back into the definition of that, go back to the sermons we did in Colossians. We did a whole thing, one sermon on wives, one sermon on husbands. And I just want to say real fast what it means for a wife to be subject, but also for the husband to be the head of the household. When you go to the scriptures and find what it means to be the head of the house, it does mean to be a leader of the house. But as Jesus defines what being the leader is, what being great is, no matter in what relationship you are, it means that you're the greater servant. And in Ephesians chapter 5, when concerning directly headship, it means that the husband is not the head king, but rather that the husband is the head servant who has Christ as the example, having headship over the church, who loved her so much that he died for her. So when you consider headship in marriage and husbands, and we'll get to the husbands later on in this passage, by headship, I mean, you're the greater servant. And by subjection, it is you are trusting that God is moving in your husband, hoping that in that relationship, you together would glorify and follow Jesus to the max. Okay, so that is the opportunity here. The two are to be together. They are equals. Oftentimes, wives can be smarter, are smarter than their husbands. I know that's the case in my family. Katie is the brains of the operation. Let me just tell you that. And you all said, amen. We know that. So it's not a matter of who's better, or who's worse, who's more powerful. But God has given roles just the same way that he gave the role of childbearing to the women. And all the men said, amen. All right. So we, God set it up this way. We are not the ones to argue with the creator, the one who not only created our bodies, but then created this marriage institution that we then take on and so he says to these women submit to your own husbands he's not telling them to be submitted to all other men or anybody else or something your own husband and in that he also goes on to specifically talk to women here who might not have a christian husband because there was questions well if i'm in a marriage relationship but my husband is not a christian am i still subject to him That goes all the way back to creation where it didn't talk about whether they were saved or unsaved. They're in one marriage as one flesh. You are a unit. And so Peter says here, as you wives, even if you're subjected uh, to your husband who's not a believer, you by your conduct 
with respect in the way you you live your life. The hope is that in the midst of that, you might so live your life as a follower of Jesus Christ, that by your conduct, you may win them over. That even though they do not follow the word of God now and believe that as a result of you, you would be the living word in front of them and they might come to Christ having you as an example of who Christ is. And so then he goes on to describe a little bit about that, what that looks like, not only for wives with unbelievers, but what it just means for a wife and, and, and what's expected. It says here in verse three. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, in this book, we've been looking at what is very precious to God. What is not precious to God is what he started with in verse three. Your adorning should not be something that's external. He goes on to describe braided hair, gold jewelry, clothes. Now, it's good that you're clothed. Okay, some of you with maybe braids in your hair are like, oh, am I not supposed to have braids? Maybe if you're wearing jewelry, was I not supposed to wear gold? Let's step back a little bit into what he's just saying here to get a sense for why he's describing these things and what it meant for the people who are reading this. The word that's used here, and you can see it on the screen, that's uh, called adorning, um, and that we have it in verse 3, is an interesting word when you go look at it in the Greek. The word in the Greek is cosmos. Cosmos. When you think of cosmos, what do you think of? You think of the universe. You think of what God has created. And, and that's what that word means. It means to have a, a created order. Somebody has put something into place and made it to be a, 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 an organized system. Now, usually in the scripture, when that word is used, the adorning, it's actually not talking of somebody uh, adorning themselves with clothes. Almost all the other times that it's used, it's talking about the world in general, that we as humanity have set ourselves up and organized ourselves in a system against God. In fact, the most well-known verse that all of us know, John 3.16, says, For God so loved the cosmos, that there was this organization, this system of humanity that in all of our actions and the way that we go, we have set ourselves up. We have designed ourselves to be in rebellion against God in the way that we go. And so what happens is, is we organize our lives. We set ourselves up in this cosmos where God is not the center. It's where I'm the center. We are the center. And so that's what Peter's getting at. When you begin to dress yourself and, and put on the accessories for yourself. And in fact, the word cosmos there is where we get our word cosmetics. When you begin to paint yourself in order to bring all attention to yourself for whatever reason that is, because you think of yourself more highly or because you think of yourself so low, but you're trying to get to that place of give me the attention, make me the center. Now, I know right now that that wives and women are like, hey, that's that's not just us. And that's absolutely true. That's why in all the other passages, it's talking about all humanity does this. We find this true right now, just in the way that we have organized our culture. For instance, one of the greatest things that's going on right now is the technological revolution that's going on with all of our devices. It's no surprise that back in 2007, when they came out with a smartphone that was called the iPhone, it was all about I. And the predecessor to that was a little gadget called the iPod. You could literally have thousands of songs on this little device. 
And what would happen is you would take earphones and you would stick them in your ear. And so you had the iPod that was full of music. Well, what was interesting about that, when you began to look what was happening in a culture, it used to be that you would go to the store and you would have a conversation. It wasn't just about you. It was about the person you were talking to and you would have community and it was all fit together. Well, what happened was everybody started putting headphones in their ears and you watch this. You could go to the store, jam into whatever, purchase your things and go home and never had a conversation with somebody. What began to happen is it's isolating. It's iPod, iPhone. And I, I love the gadgets. I love listening to my music. I, I find my phone very useful when I'm calling some of you or checking sports scores. But what's beginning to happen is it's isolating ourselves. Now, some of you might say, well, I'm not an Apple fan. I don't use the iPod, the iPhone, the iMac. I'm not an Apple. I, I use Samsung. Well, guess what? Samsung has the Galaxy, which is talking about the cosmos. It does the exact same thing where... These devices, even though it says that we're connecting to people so much of the time, how many couples, when you've seen them on a date out at the steakhouse and they have their devices, are having time together? They're usually on their phone talking about I'm connecting with somebody else. But it's really it's something that we're trying to, to, to organize around our own heart and fulfill it. It's very adorning, cosmo-me-centric. And so that's the word that he's using here. Don't let what you're doing and the way that you're dressing yourself up and how high you're, you're trying to tease that hair up on your head or whatever you're trying to do in the South here. Don't try to do those things to bring so much attention to yourself that you forget about who's in charge. Amen. Hey. All you women, you are beautiful. Do you know that God made you that way? And he made you that way. Not so that you would get all the credit so that when people looked at you, he would get the credit. So the question is this. When you are putting on the jewelry, when you are putting on the makeup, when you are putting on the clothes and the way that you are uh, addressing yourself. First of all, when you look in that mirror, do you see somebody that God's created? You need to start there and then realize that since he's the creator, what's going on in the way that you are portraying yourself should be a window for other people to then see God. So in the way that you're dressing, the way that you're accessorizing, then what you're doing, are you drawing people's attention to you or to God? Are you drawing your husband's attention to you or to God? Well, does that mean we can never dress up or wear jewelry or wear our hair nice? No, that's not what it's saying at all. In fact, in Scripture, there are times like the Song of Solomon. That's a steamy book, right? The Song of Solomon talks about putting on perfume, putting on jewelry. It's not that those things are are uh, necessarily evil. It's what is the purpose? Is this a God thing? Are you doing it because he's wanting you to and and you together as one flesh are coming and saying God is a part of our marriage? Now, I know for some of you, you're like clothing. I've got it. I, I don't have a problem with this. In fact, over in in first uh, Timothy, it says something similar. This is first Timothy two. And it says uh, in verse nine, women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. So there we have some words that should be attributes for what you're wearing, what you what you are doing when you're adorning yourself. Modesty, it said. It said also um, that that you should have self-control in the way that you should do it. Maybe you should limit how much you're addressing yourself. Um, uh, But some of you are saying, well, I don't have a problem with those things. I am totally modest. I'm so modest. And you know what? I've heard you say how modest you are time and time and time again. And that steers into a different 
direction of piousness. So you've got to be careful because in the one moment, God says, don't do this. If you go the other direction, say, I'm all about modesty and I'm going to let you know and I'm going to tell you how to be modest. You've got to be careful with that because what ends up happening is you have to realize that God addressed you more about your works and judging other people than he did dressing wrongly in Scripture. So it's got to be the, you've got to be careful. We need to help one another. We need to help one another to know we need to look at God. Husbands, we need to be aware that we're not tempting our wives to go in areas like this that they shouldn't because we want them to do that. What if in helping your wife adorn herself because you are just so googly over her and you put her out in public that all the other men around her are stumbling? Okay, so we have to we have to help in that situation. Okay, and so God is addressing these women, both in First Timothy and First Peter. He says, well, if if it's not to be adorning outward, what is it supposed to be? He says, well, then be adorned by the hidden person of the heart on the inside with an imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So in both these passages, he says, be organized on the inside. And again, this isn't about attention for yourself. This is so that God gets the attention. So it's all about here, him. It says here that it's gentle and quiet spirit. So, so we're just supposed to be weak? That's not what he's saying. When he's not telling you to be weak. Or are we just supposed to say nothing? No, he's not telling you to be completely silent. What's interesting is he just came out of the passage earlier in chapter two when he said we are to follow in Jesus' footsteps who when he was reviled, when people were against him, he didn't talk back. He was gentle. He loved towards them and he was doing it also in that moment. He could die for their sins. He could show them his love and he might bring them into a God centered, healthy relationship with him. And so, women, you also, in the same Christ-like manner, get that opportunity through that same gentle spirit, that same quiet manner of having the same Christ-like ability of bringing people to God. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. That's what God desires of you. He goes on, and I'll I'll leave that to you and your husbands to figure out what the level of quietness is and all that stuff. You talk about it yourselves. But he goes on and says in verse 5, For this is how... The holy women who hoped in God used uh, used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So for some of you, that was very frightening. He goes on and gives an example of Sarah who obeyed Abraham and even went to the point of calling him Lord. Now, we in society, we have these opportunities where we address somebody with respect. And the word that's used there for Lord can also be translated, sir. Now, I've been in the South long enough that one of the things you do that when you train up your young men and your young women to address somebody respectfully, they say, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. That's what's being done here. It's, hey, you're, you're, you're respecting your husband. You're respecting what God has done to put him in this leadership position in the family, not because he's made to lord over you with a mighty hand, but he's to serve you. And your best way to be in relationship with him is to go on with him. And there's going to be times he is going to mess up. There are going to be times when you don't agree with what he's saying. But in that relationship together, you go on as one flesh and you live out in respectfulness. What God has made us to be as a husband and wife. And, and so he says, just like Abraham did, and you know what? Abraham messed up a lot. He really did. 
but it was by faith that he was saved. And also Sarah, by faith, she was also saved. And they lived together and God was working in their marriage so that by the end of their life, they were more centered on God than when their marriage started. And it's all just that process of what goes on between a husband and wife. Now, I'm sure by this point, wives and women are like, would you would you knock it off? You're getting on us. It's time for the men. So here we go, men. Here we go. Verse seven goes on, says this. Likewise, husbands. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Showing honor to the the woman as the weaker vessel. So I'm just going to stop there for a moment. So husbands. This gives you some commands about how you're to be a husband. He says, likewise, the same way I addressed wives and told them you're to live in a Christ like manner. Husbands, when I've given you the responsibility to be um, the lesser half of this relationship, uh, uh, because we know wives are the better half, uh, the, uh, you. Must live with your wives in an understanding manner. So let me let me tell you a few things that are important there. First, you must live with your wives. Live with your wives in an understanding manner. Now, in understanding, that is hard. I mean, I, didn't, I had no idea what I was getting into when I got married. That's because we just don't, men. We have a hard time understanding. And you know what? I don't know that I've gotten a whole lot better at it. I'm still trying to understand. But we are to live together. First of all, live together. And second of all, in order to understand, and you know this in any conversation that you get into, you can't understand somebody if you don't talk to them. You've got to be in conversation. You, you have to keep that going. It starts early in the morning. It goes through the day. It goes through the night and into the night. And sometimes even while you're sleeping, you're listening to them talk. But it's this ongoing conversation. You've you got to live with them. You've got to talk with them. But then not only that, you've got to listen to them. You got to live with them. You got to talk to them and you have to listen to them. That's. That's hard for a man to do. It's hard for a man to admit that it's hard to talk and listen to your wife. Because the goal here is to understand. To understand. Now, it's it says understand that doesn't mean there's going to be agreement, but it's important that you understand where they're coming from. How many times do we get ourselves into trouble because we just jump to conclusions or because I've established that I'm the center of the universe and she's trying to be the center of the universe that there's no way I'm going to listen because there's I just don't understand where she's going. She's got to understand I'm the center of the universe. Ninety nine percent of the marriage problems, not just in the world, but in the church are resulting from sin that results from two parties in the relationship who believe themselves to be the center of the universe, or at least one of them. We have adorned ourselves. We have made ourselves the center of the cosmos. If we would see the other as, hey, this is a, this is a creature that God made who has is, who is miraculously paired them up with me, and I'm just going to gift them some time for them to talk, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen and I'm going to ask God for understanding. We're going to keep talking and we're going to spend the time. And you know what that might mean? You might have to switch off that device. And I don't mean just put it over there on the table. Turn the thing off. That might mean you have to walk over to your television if you lost the remote and punch that power button. 
That might mean that you need to establish a date night. That might mean that you need to tell other people, not tonight, it's just me and my wife. You need to get to a place where you can live, talk, listen, and at least try to understand. For some of you, that's just work. How many times in the, in the family have you said, maybe once in a, I feel like you're married to your work more than you're married to me. And so it could be something that even would be justified. I need to work for this family. But you know what? What comes first? The marriage. And from that marriage, when you begin to talk and you begin to center that thing on God, that helps to empower, that helps build you up so that you can go out to that job, so that you can approach the TV wisely, so that you can come to church ready. Now, I'm not going to ask for admit how many people had trouble between husband and wife before you got to church this morning. Were you ready for church? I hope that here at church today we heard from the gospel and that he's getting couples ready to go in strength. Couples talk to get each other. Husbands, you were given a command here to work your tail off in trying to understand your wife. And guess what? It's going to take you the rest of your life. And husbands, if you say, well, what's what's in it for me? If you're a husband in this place, I want you to raise your hand if you want God to listen to your prayers. I do. I I want my prayers to be effective. So now that we just heard that he says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. He goes on to say, because we're living with them. We're showing them honor as as a woman, as the weaker vessel. But then it says this since. They are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Did you know, husbands, that God may not be listening to your prayers because you're not treating your wives right? He may not be listening to you at all. He says here that you need to live with your wives in an understanding way, showing them honor the woman as the weaker vessel. Does that mean she's insignificant? No. Does that mean she's less than? No. She's been created in a special way. The word there, weaker, doesn't mean that she's absent or less than. It means that she's glorious in a way that we don't have. Let me tell you the difference between the two. In our kitchen, we have different things that are used for different stuff that's going to go on in the kitchen and eating. And, and one of the things that Katie gave me for Christmas was... It was a heavy package that I got and I I ripped it open and it was this huge, big cast iron skillet. And I love that thing. You can put that thing and turn the heat on hot. You can put as much grease in that thing as you want. You can scrape. I mean, that thing is a beat. It's a tank in the kitchen, this huge iron skillet. I love that thing. You get hit with that thing, it's going to hurt. I love that thing. It's got its uses. It's it's a strong vessel. Now, for, for Valentine's Day... The kids and I got Katie these these set of porcelain bowls. They're beautiful. They're painted intricately. And 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 man, when I eat cereal, it's it's like these are too beautiful to eat out of type of thing. But man, they're gorgeous. And 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 they're breakable. They're they're weaker than the cast iron skillet. But which one's better? Is there one that's better? No. No. They've both been created for a purpose. They're in the kitchen together in order to help somehow manufacture and serve 
food. You, as husband and wife, you've been created and manufactured in different ways. Men, you're just physically stronger most of the time. I know some of you wives could take your husband. I'm not going to say that. God just made differently. That's why when you watch the Olympics, there's often two different categories. But at the same time, in the way that we've been created, God uses the way that he created us in our strengths and weaknesses, our roles that he's put us in so that together we might be serving Jesus Christ to one another, to the world, to our children. And if we're not doing that correctly and trying to take a role that's not ourselves, you know what? Eating out of a cast iron skillet just isn't cool. But also, you know what? I can't cook on the stove with a porcelain bowl. When we do and use them for what they've been created for, that's right. And I know it makes me happy when we're eating and it's right. But in your marriage, if, if you're not doing it the way God intended it, it's not going to be right. And so in saying that she's the weaker vessel, we're all vessels and it's not a less than. It's just how he's created them. And we're to live together. The tube has become one flesh that together we would glorify God, that we would be building one another up in Jesus Christ. And for husbands, that means that your job, part of what you're to do is to live in an understanding way, understanding that you're to give her honor. Why? Because she's a co-heir with you. She's not going to get less than she's not going to get less of Jesus once he comes back, we're co-heirs. It's together. Right in that moment, he's, he's saying that we're, there's no difference there in equality. We're all co-heirs. So he says this. You better get it right, husbands, or your prayers are going to be hindered. If you're looking at that creature that God gave you, he gave you that beautiful woman as your wife. And you're telling her by the way that you're acting, you're telling her by the way that you're orienting your schedule, you're telling her by the way that you won't listen or try to understand in the conversation that you are the center of the universe. Then when you pray, your prayers are going to be hindered because you don't believe God's the center of the universe either. You've just shown in all your actions that you are. And so, husbands, that's why your prayers are hindered. When you go there, you might think, oh, yeah, God's everything. But you don't show that to even the closest person in your life. And so Peter is saying this because it's an example, a husband to a wife and a wife to a husband to, hey, be the best reflection of Jesus one to another. Somebody right in your house might come to faith as a result of that. The children that are watching might come to faith watching your marriage. People from the outside might see Jesus in your family because of the way you treat each other, husband and wife. When Peter is writing this, at that moment, the Christians were being persecuted. And everybody was looking at the church saying, they're a weird, peculiar people. They were making up stuff about the Christians. And Peter's saying, you know what? Let's go show them what a good family looks like. Let's show them what it looks like to have not just adornment that's going to draw attention to ourselves, but let's draw attention to Jesus. And the way husbands, you're treating your wife, let's draw attention to Jesus. It was about society. And this week we've had some pretty hard things happen in our society. And it's been going on and on and on. And everybody keeps wondering, well, what kind of laws should we pass in order to fix our society? Society is built by smaller bricks and components. The first brick of that society, the first society that was ever created was the union between a man and a woman called marriage. 
And how much of our families, how much of our schools, how much of our government and everything would be fixed if we would come and put our families, our, our, our marriage before Jesus and say, how would you like us to be married? How can I be a better husband? Help me to understand. Help me, Lord, to know how to dress. Help me know how, what good works do you want me to do in a gentle and quiet way to be respectful? Lord, how do you want us to be married? If our nation would come in prayer before the Lord and say, Lord, help us to be married the way you want us to be. I think it would change the game. The center of the cosmos is Jesus. The center of every marriage needs to be Jesus. The center of every husband and every wife. And right now, if somebody's like, I'm not married, the center of every person over the age of zero should be Jesus. And so it doesn't matter your marital status. It doesn't matter what zip code you're from, what color your skin, or where you end up. It's got to be Jesus at the center. And that little societal block that God's given you to live in, that marriage, that family, make Jesus the center of that and ask him, help me. Help me to do these things. You know what? If we don't do that, we'll follow the world. Like the scripture said, it's a, it's a cosmos. It's a world that goes astray from him. And the world comes up with all kinds of goofy ways to try to help itself despite not calling God the center. And the church can't get caught up in that goofiness. I heard this week, I was watching the Olympics and they do some crazy stunts in the Olympics. And this guy came down um, and he, he, he did a, 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 an acrobatic thing and just he hit the side of the snowboard half pipe and just like crumpled down and just laid there. And so the ski paramedics are all going down. And it's one of those moments when you're watching TV and even the commentators, they don't even know quite what to say. And a lot of times you hear things, well, man, at this moment, if everybody could send out prayers to that guy. But this is what the world has gone to. And this is where we can't have the church or marriages or any individual who knows Jesus come to. The commentator said this. If everybody with this at this moment, please send out a good vibe to that person. I was like, a, a good vibe? What we've done in the world, and we do this even in the way that we treat one another, is to say, God's not relevant in this. We'll take care of the situation. So even across the globe, if I could somehow send out a good vibe from my body and we could collectively capture those vibes and send it over to that dude who's on the half pipe in a broken lump, somehow he'll be helped. Now, it's easy for us to go like, that, that's silly. You know what? That's what the majority of Americans think. Is that if we just have good thoughts, good vibes, there is the, the understanding that karma is at work. I heard karma taught in the Four Oaks Elementary School this week. So it's not far away. And all that is saying is that somehow the universe is working on your behalf because you're in the center of it. God is the center. And that sounds silly, but guess what? If we don't start with Jesus ourselves and don't start in our marriage, we're going to go to those places quickly as the church. We've already watched churches go, it's just about our feelings, not the scripture. It's just about what we want. It's not about what God says in marriage. Got to start here. I don't know about you, but if we start getting too many vibes going out here and there and the other, we're just going to be 
dead. That's what the scripture says. So today, as you come and you recognize, maybe, you know what? I need this help, Lord. I, I need to have you as the center. That's what Peter keeps saying. It's not that just being married. Get your eyes on Jesus. Recognize what he did for you on the cross when he said, stop sinning. That's what you being the center is. It's just you sinning. And he takes all your sin, all that you've done in your selfishness and pride and greed and lust and adornments. And you take all that sin, you put it on Jesus. He then becomes the center of the grace of God, which is then cast upon you. And he wipes you of all your sin. And then he sets you off to go and live. And you get to go live as a man and as a woman. Sometimes you get to live in marriage. But it's with Jesus as the center. This morning, if you need to make Jesus the center again, and I invite you to do that as an individual. Say, Lord, here's, here's just something I have kind of cast you off and I've, I've let things get carried away and just put God as the center again. Maybe it's a sin you need to confess. Maybe it's just a, a, a bad habit. Maybe it's just mindlessness and you've been lazy and come make God the center again. But this morning, I imagine that there might actually be married couples where this has been excruciating And it might be that today is the day that you as a married couple say, you know what, we've we've got a history. Nobody else in this church knows. And I'm not saying at this point you need to get up and tell the whole church. What I'm saying is right now today. As individuals say, I'm going to be selfless. I'm going to ask God to change my heart to make him the center of my life in this marriage. And together, would you would you reforge with me a marriage that's centered on Jesus? Would you let's come and let's talk and let's. Let's repent of our sin together before Jesus and let's reestablish this marriage in Jesus. I'm not asking you to go and renew your vows today. But for some of your marriages, you need to say, I need to, we need to be renewed in Christ day by day. We need his help day by day. And make this the first day that you start again saying, hey, we're going to live in Christ and make him the center of our marriage. So I'm going to pray and and um, if you want to pray and come down forward at this time, that's what I'm going to I'm going to put the welcome out right now. And if you want to come and pray um, individually, if you want to pray as a married couple or as a family, you're welcome to come forward. And we're going to pray and ask God to just be the center of everything, starting with what Jesus did on the cross and extending into all of our lives. That the whole world might see Jesus even through us, starting first with our families. Let's pray.